0: Dust and breath. we are, and we are, human. We are holy. We're part of a story. We Welcome to this good word where every week we look at one single word in an endless discovery of reclaiming what's holy about our humanity. My name is Steve Weens. I'm a pastor, I'm a writer, and I'm a father of three crazy boys. My hope with this podcast is to create an environment where you can continually discover who you actually are in the world. So feel free to check out my website at s t e v e w i e n s S-T-E-V-E-W-I-E-N-S.com, where you can find links to my blog, to purchase my book, which is called Beginnings, The First Seven Days of the Rest of Your Life, and also links to follow me on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Enjoy the podcast, everybody. Oh, you guys, episode 38, Masculinity with Nate Pyle. Nate wrote a book called Man Enough. It came out last fall, and it is so good. Such a great picture of Jesus-shaped masculinity. I love the book, and I've really come to love Nate. He's become a friend uh, that we journey together on this rocky landscape of being first-time authors that are trying to make our way in the world and so you're gonna love this conversation. Nate is a fantastic writer, but what I found is he's he's very he's unbelievably articulate about his own journey and why he wrote this book and what's behind it. So enjoy this conversation, and then go out and buy the book, uh, even if you're not male. You're gonna to want to get this book. It's gonna help you understand if you're a mom of sons. It's gonna help you understand sons. If you're uh, a grandma, whatever it is, uh, if you're a spouse, it's gonna help you understand your husband more. So, get into it. It's amazing, Nate Pyle. Nate, how are you, my friend? I'm doing really well. How are you doing, Steve? Oh man, I'm good. Uh, I, you know, I'm gonna dive right in because I was thinking, I was trying to remember when we met. Uh, and, of course, we've never been face-to-face. We've just right. chatted. We've talked on the phone a few times. We've emailed many times, texted many times. But I remembered when we met. And it was because a couple of your blogs had really taken off. They'd, they'd gone absolutely viral. Yep. And it was it was right around the time that a couple of mine kind of went crazy. And I think we have a similar story in that, in that we had this blog that we were writing Faithful in, and all of a sudden, boom, and it's like our website wasn't working. and Yeah, we're crashing yeah, all over the place. Crashing yep. and crazy comments and what do you do? And so we met when you reached out and just kind of said, um, hey, you know, like sort of how do you, how do you navigate this, this new level? And I was like, I don't know. Um, you know, get your blog back going again. Like talk to your web people. Uh, but then it started a, a friendship. Uh, where, and then you published your book, Man Enough, uh, just a couple months at, before I published my book. And so we had a really sweet back and forth uh, going together. But what I wanted to ask you is, was was when you your blog started to go crazy, was that about when you decided to write a book? Or did you always have this idea for Man Enough in your mind?
1: Yeah, so I'll take that apart because I've did not always have the idea for man enough, okay. but I did have a desire to write a book. So before I even started blogging, I had conversation, particularly with one of my coaches. I had a conversation about wanting to do something more to have a greater influence uh, outside of the walls of my church. Yeah. Um, and so we talked about what, what that could be and kind of settled in on the book idea and that's something that had interested me uh, even when I was a youth pastor. And so I was like, all right, now I'm going to do it. And I sat down to start writing a book and I had no idea what where I was going and how to do it. And I think I got two and a half chapters into it and I just abandoned it. Really? Uh, yeah, just, just totally walked away from it, realized I didn't have I, – I didn't know enough about that. I didn't have experience. I didn't even – I don't even think I knew how to write or had a voice yet at that point. Yeah. Um, and so I just I walked away from the the project and I didn't write again for like another year, and then I started a blog just to help me solidify some learning that I was doing in a in a learning community that I was a part of. Yeah. And I figured, hey, if I write it out, that will help me get clear. And if I put it on a blog, it'll be it'll be some accountability to make sure it's clear enough for other people. And that's how I started writing and uh, and and putting it out on the blog. And from there, it 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 shifted and moved. So I started out as I'm going to be the pastor who's writing about leadership, yeah. Because there's not enough of those. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, and then and then it morphed uh, through some experiences and stuff. And it's kind of become what it is, which is just me learning and wrestling with my faith.
0: Yeah, and it's beautiful. You're such a good writer. And I think one of the one of the first blogs I read was, I think, that blog that went crazy, which was about, I think it was a letter to your son, and now forget me if I'm wrong, but I think it was a letter to your son about basically not dressing down women. I mean, it was a yeah. different, right? It was a different way of looking at this crazy, um, what a lot of people call, you know, this masculine thing, but that isn't right. right.
1: Yeah, so that was actually the second one that went viral, but that's that one... Yeah, it was the second one that went viral, but you're exactly right. It was a conversation that I imagine having with my son, who's at the time was three, is now six, yeah. um, and just about how it's his responsibility, how he views women, and that to shame them about what they're wearing or blame them is to be the victim and to not be the victim, but to learn how to see women as humans regardless of what they're wearing uh, and to take responsibility for himself.
0: Yeah, I love that. And I love the blog. And I think it's such a, you know, it's like, um, it's such a critique on, on, I think, part of what's ugly about the Christian community, especially in that there's this high, there seems to be this high regard of like purity Mm-hmm. But it's like if 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 a if a guy were to lust or stumble, quote unquote, it's yep. because the woman wore something too revealing. And it's just right. so demeaning and horrible. And yet, oh, that's well, that's, it's demeaning you know, to both.
1: It's demeaning it to the women by objectifying them and somehow. Reducing them to what they're wearing or not wearing, but right. it's also demeaning to men as if they have no ability to control themselves whatsoever. Right. Like you think about as guys and how does the Christian church or American church uh, exhort men to be? One of the ways is just you need to be disciplined and you need to be in control and all of this sort of stuff. And you know, if you look at the fruits of the spirit, well, men maybe not. We don't we don't tell men they need to be gentle, but they definitely need to be self controlled. Except for women, you need to dress differently because men can't control
0: themselves, which is just the weirdest mixed message that we give to men. I love that part of your book, too, where you kind of have the grid out of the fruits of the spirit and and you say, like, okay, which ones are masculine and which ones are feminine? And when you see it written out on a page like that, it makes it sound as ridiculous as it is. But then you have to think, like, oh, my, no, we absolutely have them categorized as gentleness is not masculine it's feminine. Right. Uh, it is. And, and, but self-control. Even,
1: right. And even love. Like, we uh, love, we, we, we see that as more feminine. And yet, that's yeah. the primary one that we're called to as Christians, you know? Right. And uh, yeah, it's just really, really fascinating all the way down. I You know, you could almost say there's only one, maybe two that are more masculine. And the one is self-control. But like I said, even yeah. that one, we don't call men necessarily to live into fully. Right. So
0: good. So good. Uh, so let's get into your book, and I had the great privilege of writing an endorsement to this great book, and I want to read my endorsement for, and I don't want it to feel weird. I really believe what I wrote about your book, and I want you to react to it and then add to it. And by the way, many great endorsements from people like Preston Yancey, uh, you know Sarah Bessie, Rachel Held Evans, Jonathan Merritt, you know just a few lightweights in there, uh, and then you really bring it home with this heavy-duty one by me. All right. Uh, So, what I wrote was Nate Pyle's heartfelt exploration of Jesus shaped masculinity as both a confrontation and an invitation. It exposes all the places I attempt to hide, but it also beckons me to come out of hiding by choosing the road of risky vulnerability. I have nothing but high praise for Man Enough, which is Nate's book. So, how do you react to, to that? uh, definition of your book uh, and what would you add or take away from it yeah well
1: I mean it's always great when someone you think well of is willing to say really kind things so obviously there's that that level but the the other thing is your experience is much my my experience that coming out from hiding and to be vulnerable for me that's when I learned how to do that, that's when I felt like I was a man, um, that, that there's different kinds of courage that we talk about, especially when it comes to masculinity. And so often we talk about courage for men as being the one who's on the front lines of the battle, running into the burning house, you know, that sort of thing. But we really need to talk about the courage it takes to reveal one's brokenness and one's weakness. Um, and when I learned how to do that, that's when I, for the first time, really began to feel like a man. And so, yeah, I just, I think your endorsement got the spirit of the book and the spirit of what mm. I was trying to communicate.
0: Well, that's what came across the pages as I, as I read. Um, you know, and it's great. Be, it's, I got the advanced reader copy, which which came in the form of like a loose leaf notebook. So I get to, you know, scribble my thoughts on the on the margins. And I, and I loved it. And I loved how you started. So I want you to tell the story of um uh so in the in the very first chapter you write about the fact that for 30 years you perfected the art of looking good. Yeah. But then uh there came this moment at this retreat where you decided to to go a different way. And so mm-hmm. t- tell that story, give a little background to it and then tell the story because it's so good.
1: Yeah. So I like everybody was handed down a a particular vision of what a man is supposed to look like. And for me, what I adopted was the guy who is very confident, who, um, is very self-assured in his ability. It looks good. So, you know, I, I pay attention to what I look like and hitting the gym and wearing good clothes. Um, and, uh, and, uh, and was very able also to identify who in the room were the power players and making sure that I aligned with my people. Right. Yeah. Cause that makes me look good as well. And so, uh, was not, I don't know if I was manipulative in my relationships, but I definitely was interested in how people would help me climb the social ladder. Yeah. Um, uh, and so, uh, I was at this retreat for this denominational thing that I was, it was a leadership retreat. Um, but they kind of snuck it in the back door that uh, to be a great leader requires personal change first. And so we're at this retreat and um, things just started badly for me from the very beginning. So normally what would happen for me at a retreat like this is that I would make sure that I looked good. I would take the notes. I would answer questions that made me look really smart that I had it together. I would try to impress the facilitators and all of that. But at this retreat, before I arrived I, or right after I arrived, I had a conversation with my wife before the retreat started. And uh, she was back home with her son. I think he was a year or eighteen months, somewhere around that age. And he was just being really difficult. Yeah. And she wasn't sleeping a lot. And he was being cranky and ornery and fussy. And
0: isn't it awesome, I, by the way, how the kids always act so horrible when you leave town? I mean, it's almost yes. like a—it's a guarantee when it's you leave guaranteed. town; those kids will go crazy,
1: right? So that happened and I started feeling bad about leaving her and, you know, I was gonna, knew I was going to be gone for another three or four days or whatever it was. And then I hung up with her and I got a call from my bank saying that there was fraudulent activity on my account. Oh, yeah. It, yeah. And so now I'm freaking out um, and I, I had to do something I hate doing is I had to go in and I had to say to the facilitators, I've got stuff going on and I can't manage it right now. I can't do this and that. Like, I, I, I can't do all of this. I have to go take care of my, um, my bank account stuff so that uh, I can be fully present, which for whatever reason, that just oh yeah stirs up a lot in me. So I went and I took care of it, and I slipped back in, and I was, I was starting to get tired, and I was emotionally just all over the map, and God used that, that throughout the week, uh, my defenses were down, and I couldn't play the part that I normally played. And this growing sense of – I became aware of this growing sense of loneliness yeah. within myself, which, again, I, I never really felt that. And people generally like me because I put forth a really good image. Um, and at the end of the retreat, they had this time where we could go and we could share with someone what we were learning and what we were experiencing and seeing. And so I went to a man named Jim, and I said to him, uh, you know, I, I don't know that I have a lot other than this sense of loneliness and he said, well, why do you think that is? And I said, well, maybe because people don't really get to see who I am. He's like, well, why is that? And I said, well, I, I don't share it with them. Well, yeah. why don't you share it with them? And um, I said, well, I'm afraid that if I share people with people who I really am, that they'll ultimately reject me. Yep. And then he asked a question that, you know, great spiritual uh, uh, counselors do. is He just twisted it just enough and he said, where else does that show up in your life? Yeah. And I knew immediately, but I didn't want to say it in, in, you know, you're a pastor and I wanted to look good and all of this. And so, uh, but I knew it. And it was in my relationship with God that I don't let God see all of who I am. I mean, He does, but I don't yeah. bring that to Him uh, because ultimately I'm afraid that He's going to reject me. Yeah. And this was the first time in my life that I got present to the fact that when you get beyond my cognitive beliefs, my functional way of relating to God was a fear that He is going to reject me, and I I, I lost it. I just I broke down. And then and then and then uh, Jim looked at me and he said, "You know, I've known you for two years, and right now I feel closer to you than I ever have before." Wow. <laughs> and I was just like, "What?" Like this made, that made no sense to me whatsoever. I had no. uh no categories for that, because I always believed that I had to look good in order for people to accept me. Totally. And then, he, and then he said, where do you think this comes from? Where do you think this fear of rejection comes from? And I was able to trace it back to middle school, because all wounds happen in middle school. And then, uh, <laughs> uh, and uh, he said this to me, "Is the a weird thing, he said, if you are willing to live out of your true self, you will stop feeling like a 13-year-old boy. Wow. And, I, and, and internally, my first response was, that is a bunch of psycho battle, like, no way but I made a commitment to try to live out of my true self and to be real with people and honest with people. And he was absolutely right. That's, that's when I learned how to, that's when I felt like a man, I didn't feel like a kid uh, trying to prove myself anymore. So there you go. That's the, that's the story.
0: No, that's a beautiful story. Uh, and it's right there in the beginning. So it sort of sets the, it does set the tone for the book. And, um, so in what ways do you, you know, you're a pastor, you're a friend, Uh, you gather around other dads and other people in what ways do you see men hiding in what ways do you see typically men take the um uh, hide instead of showing their true selves yeah
1: I think that we as men are always a little insecure about our status in the eyes of other men yes um and so there's this natural competitiveness that happens between us. And it, it, it's often fun and uh, sometimes joking. But if you're paying attention to it, it's all these little, you know, these, these questions about status. Yeah. Who's, who's the top dog in the group? Who's the, who's the alpha male? Who's, who's the guy that always gets picked on? Who's the outsider? All of that sort of stuff that's always going on. And I think that the insecurity we feel around other guys, do they think I'm a man? Have I done enough to win their approval uh, as, as a husband, as a father, as just a, a, a good old American man or whatever whatever it is? I think that insecurity causes that competitiveness and we hide behind that. Uh, if, if I had to pick something, that's it. So, Or maybe another way to say it is we're constantly uh, hiding behind the need to prove ourselves.
0: Yeah, I would agree. The need to perform. We yep. need to um, prove that we're just a little better than. In fact, it brings up a memory I have. So I was a sophomore in high school. I was in the locker room, of course. Mm-hmm. Uh, and our basketball team was getting ready, getting changed for a game. And one of the seniors, he stops the conversation and goes, Okay, everyone, I want you to go around and tell how many girls you've, you've slept with. You know, um, Go around. And it's like, yep. Oh my gosh. And then, and I can't remember what I said, but it was, it was, it was zero. I mean, it was zero. <laughs> uh, and then, but someone asked him like, well, how many, how many have you, and he thought like he was trying to do these mental gymnastics, like this major addition. And he goes, uh, probably about a hundred, you know, <laughs> Wow. <laughs> And I mean, like, all right, you're you know, you're seventeen years old and, and now do that. Right. Okay, really a hundred I mean, anyway, so if it's true, oh my gosh, and it's probably not true, and if it's not true, oh my gosh. I mean, is that right. where we're at? You know? Right. Uh, is that where we're at? It was so ridiculous. So ridiculous. Um All right, so you talked about middle school. Yep. And And uh, you had a nickname in middle school. Uh, you're going to make so me share that. I am going to make you. Well, only if you want to. I told you this. The, <laughs> only if you want to. But you wrote about it. To, I you wrote know. about it so as well, right? Yeah. Tell, tell us your nickname in middle school and what kind of an impact that had on you. Yeah, so my nickname in middle school, let me just say,
1: I uh, puberty was uh, not helpful for, I mean, it, it was really my antagonist. And I grew out before I grew up. So my nickname in middle school was Pillsbury Doughboy. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it, that nickname, there's a degree to which, even as a 36-year-old, I still live in the shadow of that nickname. Yeah. That I still am trying to prove that I'm not soft
0: yeah yeah
1: and you know so at the time it was because I was a little round and a little bit pudgy uh, but it became something that was symbolic of soft emotionally soft in terms of uh, uh, soft in the eyes of other guys even if I wasn't Um, you know I have memories of playing basketball in seventh grade and even though I wasn't the quickest guy, I was a pretty decent outside shot, and I remember this one time I had a breakaway, and I'm going down court, and I get, I jump to, the, I go up to do the layup, so I'm you know six inches in the air because that's my vertical, I'm a white guy, <laughs> and uh, six inches up in the air, and somebody pushed me from behind, and I go while I'm in the air, and I go flying into the bleachers, and as I'm just like writhing in pain because my back smashed up against the the edges of one of the seats. He stood over uh, the guy who pushed me. Stood over me and said, "There's no way the Pillsbury Doughboy is going to score on me like that." Oh, and there's just
0: my gosh.
1: Yeah, and so there's this. I live in the shadow of constantly having to prove that I'm not soft, um, and that to some degree, you can't stop me. Yeah. Like I'm just I'm going to do it anyways. Um, and, and so that's that's really been a pretty formative name and with all the experiences that go with it in uh in, in how I've lived in my life part of the reason the I the image mattered so much was that so people couldn't they, they can't call me Doughboy anymore because well he works out and look he's got a you know he he's in shape so we can't call him that anymore
0: yeah so yeah yep. oh I think that's such a poignant picture and especially that story of of you know the the fast break and now you're going to freaking run fast enough so no one can catch you and you're right. going to look, you're going to be, you're going to have, you know, you're going to look good and you're, that is not going to happen to you again.
1: Right. And so when I was in, when I was in middle school, one of the ways that I coped with it was be, was by being smart. Yeah. So I'm going to be smarter than all of you and you, you, you know, you, you guys are going to want to sit next to me in class. You're going to want to have all the answers and I'm going to use that as my bargaining chip. And in my head, the, the, the dialogue is I'm better than you because I'm smarter than you. Yep. Um, and that's, that's carried on into some, some other it carried on into really into my early thirties before I had this experience in Houston on that retreat where, in my head, there was always the internal dialogue of comparing myself to others, and then figuring out what I needed to do so that I was better than you, so that you would not reject me. That's what it was ultimately about. Mm, yeah, the, the name Pillsbury Doughboy was a re, was a re, was a form of rejection. Yep. But if I'm fast enough, if I'm strong enough, and if I'm smart enough, if I'm capable enough, then you have no reason to reject me. So that was really my defense mechanism. Man.
0: Um. And so that led you to an exercise that you wrote about toward the end of the book. Um, And I think the title of the chapter was Being Human, Becoming Human, something like that. Um, But someone gave the assignment to go to the people, go to two or three people that you really know, that really love you, and ask them, what impact does my not being fully authentic have on you? Uh, How did that go? And who did you talk to?
1: Yeah. So it actually came out of that initial conversation with Jim in Houston as, you know, after he said, I feel connected to you and you won't feel like a 13 year old boy. He said, uh, here's, here's, here's what I want you to do to practice living into this. Wow. He told me to have three conversations with people and ask them what the impact of my way of being was on them. And so I talked with my wife and that was really helpful. Although she got to see the insecure side of me. Yeah. Yeah. And so, the impact while there was an impact on her, that it was less than maybe other people. Right. And then there was a guy in town who has friends with his name was Jeff. And he was one of these people who would, he, he could love you really well. And he did love you really well. And, and also would speak really directly yeah. and had a way of just kind of cutting through all the crap. And, uh, so I thought, okay, he'll, he'll be safe. He'll be someone good. He'll give me honest feedback. So I went and I talked with him and, I sat down and I said, "Okay, he, here's the experience that I had." And I told him all about the retreat and what I had seen, and about how lonely I felt because of the image that I was projecting. And 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 I, and uh, and then I said to him, "I said, do you <laughs> what is the impact of this on you?" Yeah. He was sitting in a reclining chair, and uh, he had been leaning back just a little bit as he had been listening to me. And he sat up, put his hands on his on his knees, and he said, "Do you really want to know the answer to that?" I was like. Oh no! Here, this is here it comes, and I kind of braced myself and I said, "Yeah, I need to. I need to know the answer to that." And he said, "I have always walked away from conversations feeling like you're smart, that you have something to bring to the table that is helpful, that you are a good leader." You see, so he listed all these nice things, and he said, "But I have never walked away from a conversation feeling loved by you."
0: Whoa! 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 whoa.
1: Yeah. And, and, and that just smacked me between the eyes. I mean, here I am a, I'm a pastor. I'm supposed to be loving. I'm supposed to love my congregation. And, and, and I'm also someone who wanted to, it, 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 it hit all my shame mechanism, yeah. you know, it triggered all my shame because as much as I was trying to project the good the, 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 the image of the best possible person, here was someone who saw right through that, um, yeah. And so that, that resulted in me going back to, to examining how i show up in the midst of relationships, how I want to show up and, uh, and to ha- get some coaching around what I needed so I could show up differently.
0: where did you get the coaching?
1: Yeah. So I keep feeling like I keep going back to the same guy. I asked Jim, I said, Jim, I need a coach. I don't know how to do this. Um, And so we had biweekly conversations where I would ask him questions about showing up. Where I would relay experiences. He would help me think about what could you have done differently. What could you have shared? What you know? And he just he just coached me through that for just over a year. Um, And it it has completely changed my life. It's completely changed who I am, how I show up. It's changed how I relate to my wife. It's changed how, especially how I relate to uh, to my son and now my daughter. it's it's changed how I pastor. It's I, I am a different person because of it.
0: And see, I think that's what I think is beautiful about the this one decision that resulted in a million decisions to yeah. stop uh, showing up as the one that was smarter than everyone or the one that was has it all together, even though there's fraud fraudulent account in your bank account. Right. And, and, you know, so it's like this this breakdown turns into an opportunity to change your life if you can see it and you had the opportunity to see it and you made a decision to say risk i'm going to risk vulnerability and then you kept coming back to that that's that's why i asked you about like okay who'd you get your coaching from i think it's great that it was from jim because he was a safe place that you could keep coming back to and keep growing and keep learning and keep kind of being honest about this is how i'm uh, maybe failing at, at, at what I'm trying to do, which is which is to love people. And I yep. think um, whoever it was that told you that thing, I've never felt loved by you. I'm sure that hurt like crazy to hear. Oh. But what a gift, you know? I mean, what a gift. Yeah. Uh,
1: it has, you know, when you talk about, in Christians, we throw this around. We talk about uh, speaking the truth in love. Yeah. I have become a firm believer that only works in the midst of true relationship, Yeah. not like an acquaintance or whatever, but a true, the only way I was ever able to hear, I've never felt loved by you is because I trusted him Yes. pretty completely. And I didn't want to trust him in that moment and it hurt like crazy, but there was also this thing where I could fall back on and say, no, 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 he, he loves me. Yep. Uh, He wants what's best for me. He's being honest with me. Um, and, and, and I have to get beyond my pain and receive this to see what of this is really true. And the more I asked other people, the more that was confirmed for me. Um, but that's the whole idea of speaking the truth and love, like to culture or to a group of people. No, 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 no. That's got it. That can only happen in the midst of really, truly trusting relationships.
0: Yes, I could not agree More And that's why I think when you get a weird, uh, even if it has some truth to it, when you get a weird ding from someone that you're not in relationship with, if it comes through email or even there's a number of different ways this can come at you as a pastor or or really anything. That's why it feels so slimy because it isn't in relationship and there's nothing to come. There's nothing to fall back on. There's nothing to there is no relationship. And so, um, man, I totally agree with you on that. So another question. Um, what do you believe is a good picture of masculinity and femininity coming together? And, and, and let me ask a follow-up question. As you think about masculinity and femininity, do you, do you, do you see, how, how do you see it? Like, do you see it as a continuum that people are at different spots on, or do you see it as two different things? Or do you see it as something altogether different?
1: Oh, there's a lot in those two questions.
0: <laughs> that was maybe seven. Maybe seven Yeah, right, questions. right. So,
1: um, you know, if you talk about the spectrum, I think the spectrum, you know, a, a spectrum of masculinity or a spectrum of femininity or however you want to say, if it's one spectrum with femininity on one side and masculinity on the other, however you frame that, I think that there's a spectrum only in regards to cultural ideas. Yeah. So there's a, you know, there's a cultural picture of what a man is, you know, however you want to, if you want to say it is the John Wayne or the, the Superman or, um, Jason Bourne for the newer, newer (laughs) (laughs) generation, you know, whatever that is on one end and then pick your extreme feminine. in I think that only works there. Uh, when we talk about, and I don't even know if I like the term, but a biblical masculinity or a, maybe a better way to say it is a God created man. I just think there's so many different expressions of that. Yes, I think God does create some men who tend to have more of this warrior energy, if you will. Um, And God also creates some men who just have tender hearts and God creates men who are poets and God creates men who, who are cultivators Rather than um, than, than, a, than a warrior or a king or whatever you want to say it, I just I do think that there's these different and, and to try to put that on a spectrum, I think it's a little bit dangerous of saying, well, one is more of a man than the other." No, no, no. The gardener is as much of a man as a warrior is. Right. Um, and maybe even. If you wanted to be biblical, the gardener is more of a man than the warrior because the original man was a gardener. Yes. Uh, yeah, I don't know. You know, so uh, I, I think that that spectrum is a little, uh, using a spectrum is difficult. And what I try to say is there are different expressions of what it means to be a man, and that's okay because Christ has affirmed all of us, called us all sons, and in being sons and not having to prove ourselves. We can live into who it is that Jesus has made us to be, yeah, uh, so so that's how I'd respond to the spectrum piece um
0: yeah, no, I like that, and the reason why I'd ask it is because I think even even within some of the great conversation that we can have here about masculinity, there can still be a thing of well, like what's fully masculine, you know, what's fully and and is that even the right question you know like as men even i mean cuz i tend to believe actually that god is both fully masculine and fully feminine that's 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 the god the mm-hmm. god is there there can be another no other way that we're both created in god's image male and female right so i tend to think a fully integrated person is one that is cultivating some feminine characteristics as well as some masculine. Even even given what you just said, I think some men and some women are more warriors. You know, they're just more out on the front edge. I mean, I can think of, you know, is like Nadia Boltz Weber a little bit more of a warrior, probably. I mean, I don't know that that's true, but probably. Um, And so I agree that that trying to define, you know, it's like, yeah, this is a better form of masculinity or a worse form is, is ultimately hurtful. Right. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so the question is, is, so what does it mean to be a man?
1: And, and I really wrestled with that uh, within the book. And I think that what I come back to is what is the intent? Like, what is it, the intended design? Not just of men. Well, you know, how did God make us, but, but of humanity in general, Yes, And and what I come to is just men and women were called to take responsibility, to take responsibility for the world around them and in the garden, you know, to take responsibility, to work the garden and to take care of it. For us, that means to take responsibility for our families, for our neighborhoods, for our communities, for our churches, for whatever spaces we might inhabit. Just what does it mean from asking ourselves, what does it mean to take responsibility in this place? Um, and as a man, with the aptitudes and attitudes that God has given me, what does it mean for me to, in the assurance that God has affirmed me as a man, live out that expression and take responsibility in this place in the way that I can? Not in the way that I think a man should, right? Right. But in the way that I that I can, which also frees us up to relate to women very differently. Yes. Because if my masculinity or if my uh, worth as a man is affirmed in Jesus, then I don't have to prove myself by being more manly than a woman or, (laughs) you know, like I don't, I'm more free to submit to my wife and her leadership. Yes. I don't have to prove myself by being this macho uh, breadwinner or whatever. Like, my wife, I can use her gifts and she can use her gifts and celebrate. I can celebrate those gifts and because I'm not in competition with her. yeah, I don't. I have to set myself up apart from her as more manly or any other woman. I don't need to be threatened by them because Christ has affirmed me as son. Yes. Christ has called them as daughter. And so how can I relate? There can be a lot greater mutual submission.
0: Love that. Love that. Uh, okay, a couple other questions. So... Uh, About a month or two ago, maybe more, uh, you sent me a text or maybe it was on Instagram of this young man named Anthony who drove all the way from Minneapolis to Indianapolis, well, to to Fishers, to go to your church and to to meet you because he was so impacted by Man Enough. And I ended up meeting with Anthony just maybe a month ago. And I love this guy. And so, but how, how was that to get like someone that drove? I don't know how far that is, 12 hours or eight hours, something like that? Yeah, it's like 12 hours. 12 hours uh, to meet you and to say thank you for writing a book that really I think he needed to read and it sounds like has really changed his life.
1: Yeah. Uh, you know, as authors, we get caught up in trying to figure out how many books we sell. And- <laughs> what interviews we're doing or what speaking gigs we're invited yeah. to. And that's typically how we measure the success of our, of our work. Yep. Um. And I've absolutely been caught up in that. Yep. But the thing that keeps me grounded is, is that story. Yeah. I mean, I've got right here a, a picture and a note that he sent me, this piece of art that he made and this mm-hmm. note that he wrote it's literally right behind my desk and wow. I see it every day when I walk in. Uh, because that's, I mean, if, if I, if I did all of this for that one story, that's, that, that's, that's not, that's it. Yeah. That, that, if I, if one person is freed up because of this message that I feel I've been entrusted with, it's enough, it's enough. Mm. That does not mean I don't add all the other mind games going on, but what keeps me grounded is that story. Cause it, I mean, when I when I came out of the we pulpit, we we're a relatively smaller church, um, and so you know who the visitors are. Yeah, you know, about that. Day, you know oh, who the yeah. visitors, are. and I saw him standing there, and went up to him, and introduced myself, and then he told me why he is there, and I, I just started crying right there, and I yeah. said, "All right, you, what are you doing? Do you have time for lunch?" And he's like, "You, you take me up, lunch? like, like yes, you're having, <laughs> yeah. you're having lunch together." Uh-huh. Just got to hear his story and the work that it's been doing. Is like, I, I, it's yeah,
0: I, yeah, greatest as- gift. the greatest gift it's it it is uh and I loved getting to hear him talking telling me his story and talking about you and talking about the you know I asked him oh my gosh you drove down to see my friend Nate and and even just the beautiful serendipity of that that we know each other and that you know he goes to my church and and he drove to church Uh, I just loved that I loved how that got woven together and I really do think for him it's brought some real healing you know and um so so shout out to you anthony if you're listening to this i hope you yes are. man you encourage us uh mm-hmm. big time all right so two more questions nate uh you just adopted the most gorgeous little baby girl <laughs> uh she's just, her pictures i just you, you you're killing me especially with your little six-year-old boy oh my gosh uh Say whatever you want to say about that journey because it was a real long one. Yeah, it's been a really long journey.
1: Uh, it's been about five years in the making between uh, trying to add to our family biologically and wrestling with infertility. I uh, dealt with an ectopic pregnancy in there, which was that. That was actually when I wrote about that, the very first blog post I've had that went viral. Yeah. Um, And uh, then about two years we were uh, in the process of trying to adopt and we were adopting domestically here. And it was just a really slow process where we were constantly left wondering if this desire that we had to add to our family was something that would be honored by God. And so just kind of sitting in that space of trying not to force it to happen, but also expecting it to happen, of being hopeful and yet dismayed, Um and and even I didn't even realize it until after we got matched in January uh with with Evelyn. And um you know, I thought I feeling all this joy and excitement around it. And I was leading a retreat um up in Canada and someone was interviewing me and kind of coaching me in front of some people to put it, you know, we were talking about the reflective lifestyle. And bringing all of who we are to all of who God is and so we're up in front and this person was sort of coaching interviewing me and for the first time said you know I'm in front of like 25 30 people said that I was frustrated as hell with God (laughs) because it took so long and just had this moment where I was like, Oh no, I just said this in public, like in front of everybody. And I didn't even know this about myself. And then, so realizing in the midst of all this joy, there was all this pain and all this junk in my relationship with God that now, okay, now I've got to actually work through this. And if I'm going to talk about bringing all of who I am to all of who God is, then I've got to show up with this anger and just acknowledge like, why in the world did it take five years? Yep. Uh, uh, So, so anyways, that's in the space but you know she's here i'm working through that stuff but evelyn is here and we we just are absolutely smitten right now with her
0: she's she's pure joy she just yeah and and i um i so listeners i want to encourage you i'm going to i'm going to include on the show notes some links to nate's blog in general but i'm going to include Uh, Links specifically to a couple of those ones that you just talked about the one with the ectopic pregnancy and and also the one um, where he writes to his son about um, not you know dressing down not not demeaning yourself or women by judging them by what they're wearing and stuff like that so um, I would encourage you to read those they're really beautiful um So last question, Nate, uh, if you, and now you really have all kinds of freedom to say no comment on this one, but, (laughs) um, uh, you're working on your second book, uh, anything you want to share about that? Uh, yeah, I'll share as much as I can, uh, because
1: nothing's been finalized with the publisher yet, other than there's going to be a second book, uh, but uh, what it exactly is it going to be about? We're still tweaking and working on that. So, uh, but what I will say is, it's not going to be something gender related. Yeah. Um. I don't want to get. Uh, there's a piece of me that doesn't want to get pigeonholed, and there's a piece of me where I've said everything that I need to say on that one. Yeah. Um. And so, uh, one of the things that I write about, and you know this from reading the blog, is I do a lot of just what does it mean to live out our faith in a culture that is changing all around us? Um, what does it mean to embody the love of Christ with people with whom we disagree? Yeah. Um, and, uh, and so I want to I push into that and explore that through a book. Um, and, uh, and it's going to be written really different than Man Enough, Um, not that man enough was poorly written. I I'm, I'm really happy and proud of that work, but I have been saying to people, man enough felt like feels like a three point sermon and, and I don't want to, I hope this doesn't push people away, but there's a, you know, the front third of the book is deconstructing American masculinity and how Christianity has framed it. And the middle part is looking at Jesus and trying to regain our bearings. And the third part is what we, how we live into this. It's a three point sermon, just in book format. Uh, the second, this book, I want to do something that's a little bit more, uh, lyrical and has more space for reader interaction in terms of some of the questions that I'm asking and some of the pictures that hopefully uh, are are painted and some of the scripture passages that are laid out there. So it'll be very, very different. Um, but that I think that's as much as I
0: can say con- confidently at this point. Well, that sounds great, man. And, and I I know what you mean, because we've talked about this a little bit. I know what you mean about Man Enough um i think because of the content it required a whole there were some footnotes i mean there was some research uh and it needed that i mean it needed that because of the because of the seriousness of the of the content and i loved it and it's it's really well written um i mean i'll 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 say that i'll say it out to everyone i mean man enough is a fantastic book i am looking forward to this next one and, and to see how how more of the narrative approach is gonna play with um with your heart and your um your obvious love for vulnerability and bringing Mm -hmm. what actually is versus this ideal picture you know which doesn't get us anywhere so um yeah all right man uh was there anything you hoped i would ask you that i didn't ask you
1: no, no. I mean, the only thing I I was hoping, not necessarily that you'd even ask, but just tell me is when we're going to be hanging out in person. But, you know, we'll, we'll <laughs> yes. Other time.
0: Uh, <laughs> I mean, one of us needs to make the drive. I'm, I'm happy to head down to Indy because our mutual friend Matt Bays is down there as yes. well. So we could we could really we could hang out and have a lot of fun. Or maybe we, we do an event down there, I mean you know we do we do we do some sort of a three author event, you know, three fans would show up and we would have a three on three basketball tournament or exactly it'd be great <laughs> oh gosh i i I can't wait to meet you face to face, man, I feel like um, uh, we even you know just the conversation we had last week, Nate and I had a conversation last week or two weeks ago just about what it means to publish and there's there's just a lot of weirdness in that there's some really beautiful parts of it like what we shared with the story with Anthony and I have some stories like that as as, as well but um and I've talked about this on the podcast too uh, there's just some darkness there too and it's it sort of it sort of unearths some ugliness in terms of ego and comparison. And the very same things that you talked about, Nate, to be quite honest. I mean, comparison and, and, you know, Mm -hmm. am I better or am I worse and all that stuff. So um, your book also helps me and just your friendship helps me to stay rooted in what's real, not in what's illusory. Because Amazon sales rank, that's all illusory. Uh, It it all changes. It's all and that's a scarcity model of thinking. Whereas, you know, relationship. And impact can only be really measured uh, on you know on a 10 20 30 year scale anyway <laughs> I think <laughs> probably and life by life. So you're helping me really lean into that Nate and I appreciate that, man.
1: Well thanks man. I appreciate it and I just appreciate you and your friendship and uh, yeah that we get to walk this this journey a little bit yeah. together It's been it's been a real joy.
0: Yeah first books at about the same time second books will be about the same time uh it's it's a huge it's a huge gift so um i end the podcast every week by saying our little this you know this good word has kind of a mantra and it's we are dust and breath we are limited and limitless we are human and holy and we're in it together so Mm. and welcome to the community nate uh and uh thanks so much for sharing with us your wisdom Again, everybody, I'll share all the all the links on the show notes, and that's at steveweens.com slash blog. You can find it. Um, in, just search Nate Pyle or search This Good Word, and, and you'll find it. And I'll put uh, the links to some of his most read blog posts, as well as how to follow him on Instagram and Twitter and Facebook. And, uh, of course, links where you can buy his book. And you can get it on Amazon. You can get it. Barnes and Noble. You can get it anywhere you buy books. So, yep. All right. Thanks, Nate, man. Peace to you, Thank my friend. Thank you, Steve. All right. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Bye.